0: Maybe some of you here are studying or have studied English literature. When I was at Edinburgh University uh, a while ago, the prescribed text for English Literature 1 was the Norton Anthology of English Literature. Still there in uh, the bookshops, parts 1 and 2. Two great big thick volumes that went together. we still got them. They make two great bookends on a bookshelf. It's clear when we read the beginning of Luke and the beginning of Acts that Luke and Acts go together. They are part of a two-volume work. Luke is part one. Acts is part two. And Luke, the writer, in his first volume, Luke's Gospel, addresses Theophilus, who was probably his patron, a little bit like his editor or publisher in Modern parlance. And what Luke says right at the beginning of part one is intended to cover parts one and part two. So these opening four verses relate to Luke and Acts together. And what I'd like to do is spend a bit of time on these four verses at the beginning of the two volume work and then turn to the introduction to the second volume, Acts. So turn with me to page 855, Luke chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. Now Luke's logic in these verses is as follows. Verse 1, he says, other people have written accounts like the one I've written. Verse 2, he says, these accounts are based on eyewitness testimony. Verse 3, I've written one two, Verse 4, that you might have certainty. That's his logic. Now, when did Luke, the author, write? Well, the date of his two-volume work, Luke and Acts, and he wrote them together. Scholars tell us, and we have no reason to doubt what they say, the date of his two-volume work is around 60 AD. In other words, Luke wrote volume 1 and volume 2 together just after the events described in Acts chapter 28 when Paul had reached Rome and is preaching the gospel. And so Luke, Acts, records the birth, the teaching, the death, the resurrection, the ascension, the giving of the Holy Spirit, the birth of the church, the spreading of the gospel out from Jerusalem, eventually to the Gentile world and Rome. And who was Luke? Well, he was a doctor, uh, a medical doctor. He had a methodical mind. That's uh, clear to us on the way he writes. He was an organized individual. He was a traveling companion of the apostle Paul. He saw much of what he describes, and he had Paul's testimony, first-hand testimony. He would have known the apostles like Peter pretty well, John Mark, who wrote the first gospel about five years before Luke's, uh, Luke Acts. John Mark, he would have known well. John Mark, a traveling companion of Peter. And uh, when Luke wrote, he would have had Mark's gospel as a source. Now, try to imagine in your mind, Luke, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he has seen much of what he describes. Paul is uh, his right-hand man. He knows Peter, Peter, and the other apostles who were with the Lord Jesus. And sitting on his desk, he's got Mark's gospel, that manuscript. And so Luke is well qualified to write an orderly eyewitness account. Two other things to say from these opening verses. Firstly, something in verse 1. Just look at that verse with me. Luke writes, In so much as many have undertaken to compile a narrative Of the things that have. Now, when you write a history book, you would expect him to say, I've compiled a narrative of the things that have happened. He doesn't say that, though. He says, the things that have been accomplished. Literally, he says, I've written a narrative account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. In other words, he is saying that what I've given you is factual history based on eyewitness testimony from those who saw. But what I'm describing are events that are in themselves the fulfillment or the accomplishment of a plan. That's his point. And uh, behind what we read in Luke and Acts, there is the outworking of the plan of God for the salvation of humanity. Let me just uh, leak out the key application from this morning's talk at the start. The key application is simply, will you come on board with God's plan that is being worked out in history? And that plan is the gospel going to the ends of the earth, which includes this city where we live. Will you come on board with that preset, determined plan that is being worked out? Now, the second thing I want us to see in these opening verses is something in verse 4. It's very important and it's reflected in the title and the notes, and that is certainty. Verse 3 It seemed good to me, having followed all things closely, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty of the things you have been taught. Why does Luke write? He writes in his own words that you may have certainty. Theophilus, his patron, is a Christian. Luke is primarily writing to Christians, not simply to Christians. It is relevant, of course, to people who are not convinced Christians. But Luke is primarily writing to Christians that they will have what? Certainty about the things they have been taught. So, when we study Luke or Acts, and we study Volume 2, what the Lord will do in our hearts and minds by His Spirit is give us certainty about what we believe, about what we have been taught. When you're feeling weary, there are a whole range of energy drinks on the market to get you going. lucas a bit old-fashioned but still sells well. Isotonic or Red Bull, all with varying degrees of strength. The very best energy drink, um, as far as I'm concerned, is Iron Brew. For those of you who um, have come from overseas, Iron Brew is made from iron. (laughs) As the advert says, pure girders. That's iron. And uh, whatever you think of Iron Brew... Because of the stuff in it, if you drink it, you will certainly be energized. And Acts and Luke is a little bit like isotonic or Lucasade or Red Bull or the Iron Brew of the New Testament. It is to give us certainty and encouragement. Certainty, for example, that our faith as Christians is not based on theory or ideas, but facts. Our faith is rooted in space and time history, the death and resurrection of Jesus. That is a wonderful encouragement to us in relation to certainty. And in our evangelism, in telling people the gospel, we are asking them to respond to facts. Certainty, too, as to exactly what the gospel is. Notice what Luke says He says, I have written to you, Theophilus, that you may have certainty as to what you have been taught. Certainty as to what the gospel is. Luke and Acts tells us what the gospel is. It is the gospel that Jesus proclaimed. It is the gospel that the apostles proclaimed. And that gospel that they proclaimed is that Jesus died a once-for-all, atoning, sacrificial death for the forgiveness of our sins. That gospel is rooted in two events, the death and resurrection of Jesus. There is no other gospel that Jesus taught than that one. And Luke says you may have certainty, certainty that as you proclaim that gospel, you proclaim His gospel, And the gospel that you proclaim, if you proclaim that gospel, is the gospel that, as we will read, went from Jerusalem to the very heart of the ancient world, to Rome itself, with many people being converted. Most encouragingly of all, Luke Acts gives us certainty that the gospel will advance, that the church will grow, that many people will become Christians. I suspect, were we gathering here in the middle of the 19th century in Scotland, imagine what that would be like. The one major difference would be that across Edinburgh on a Sunday morning in about 1860, most people would be going to church to hear the gospel. I suspect a sermon about the certainty that the gospel will advance in our generation people would have looked around and said, well, yes, I believe that's true, because it is. If you had preached a sermon in China in the middle of the 19th century and said that the gospel will advance, people would have said, does he really say that? Do I really believe that? Of course, if you preach this morning in China that the gospel will advance in a city like Beijing, Well, people will look around them in churches that are full and say, well, yes, it is. I believe it. And in a sense, what I'm trying to say is that we need in the West today, in Scotland today, in England today, we need to hear that the gospel will advance because it's not looking like it is in the same way as it once was. But the promise is there. Let me go back to the key application of the talk. Will we believe the Lord Jesus? Will we believe that the gospel will go to the further corners of this city, to this university? Will we believe that people will become Christians? Do we believe that the Holy Spirit is as powerful now as it was then? Now let's turn, in the time we have left, to the beginning of Acts, page 909. And what we get at the beginning of Acts is a kind of recap in relation to certainty about the mission plan of the Lord Jesus. Do we believe what he says about his mission plan? And there are three key verses. And you'll see on the service sheet, I've written down what these key verses are. Verses 1, 8, and 14. Let me just read them to you and you'll see what I mean. Verse 1, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach dot, dot, dot. In other words, the story goes on. Verse 8, speaking to the apostles, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. And then part three of the plan, verse 11, this Jesus who is taken up to heaven will return. It's a three-part mission plan, the plan of the Lord Jesus. You see the logic? Part one, Jesus comes to earth. He teaches. He dies, he's raised, he gives us the gospel, and he goes back to the Father. Part two, he sends the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit empowers gospel witness to the very ends of the earth. When that is done, part three, he will return, and all people who have trusted in him will live forever in a new creation. And uh, the book of Acts is all about part two of the plan. That is the age in which we are living. The gospel empowered by the Holy Spirit going to the ends of the earth. Now let me just uh, take a little bit of time to show you how that promise in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 is worked out in the days of the early church. Let me read the key verse again. You will receive power... When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's what the Lord Jesus said to the apostles right at the start. You know when you throw a stone into a lake, a still lake? Maybe you stand on a bridge and and drop a stone into a still lake. I tried it on a puddle this week. I couldn't find a lake. And it works, of course. You drop it in, and it makes just an indent in the water and it disappears to the bottom, but then you get ripple effects, rings. Rings moving out across the water. And that's how Luke writes about the growth of the gospel in Acts. What we see is the gospel comes to Jerusalem. That's like the the stone dropping in the water. And then it goes out from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria, to Asia Minor, to Europe, to Rome. And Rome in the ancient world is the center of the earth. Let me show you. Chapters 1 to 7, you'll see on the sheet, the gospel is in Jerusalem. We'll see over our studies the coming of the Holy Spirit. We'll look at that next week. Peter preaches the gospel. People become Christians. The church begins. There's opposition. Opposition. There's opposition all through Acts. And that opposition culminates in the martyrdom of Stephen in chapter 7 and Saul ravaging the church. Look with me in your Bibles, page 916, beginning of chapter 8. Gospel still in Jerusalem. Chapter 8, verse 1 and Saul approved of Stephen's execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. It looks like bad news. The church is scattered. Where are they scattered? In Judea and Samaria. Remember the Lord's promise? You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria. Verse 3, chapter 8, Paul, Saul rather, was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. That is going on in Jerusalem. And verse 4, in Samaria and Judea, those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. So the gospel is opposed and the gospel is proclaimed. The gospel... People attempt to halt it, and yet it goes forward, the spread of the gospel. And yet the Lord's mission plan, opposition, is the very catalyst that moves the gospel forward and causes it to spread out from Jerusalem into the surrounding regions. See how the Lord's promise is fulfilled? The next major movement, just turn forward, Two more page flicks for you, that's all. Chapter 13, page 921. Again, the opposition is intense. That's the pattern. The apostle James is martyred. Peter is imprisoned and released. The key opponent to the gospel and its spread, King Herod. The end of chapter 12, we read of the death of Herod, the consequences of the removal of Herod, verse 24, but the Word of God, in other words, the gospel, increased and multiplied. These rings going out, these ripples, and from chapter 13 onwards, the gospel spreads out from Judea and Samaria to Asia Minor to Europe, chapter 16, and eventually the gospel reaches Rome, the center of the ancient Gentile world. Last Reference, the very end of the book of Acts, chapter 28, verses 30 and 31. Paul lived there, that is in Rome, two whole years at his own expense, and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. What a wonderful end to the book of Acts. Think of the promise at the beginning. You will be my witnesses. You will receive power, and the gospel will be proclaimed from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. You can almost hear the apostle Peter and the others saying, you mean even Rome? Surely not, in that Gentile citadel Of the ancient world, and by the end of Acts, the gospel has reached Rome. It's been a pretty turbulent track, though internal, external opposition, economic hardship, hypocrisy, church disunity, persecution, shipwrecks, snake bites, and so on. But the gospel has reached Rome. Not by chance, not by uh, the random orchestration of events, but because the purposes of God for the salvation of the world is being fulfilled. Remember that word in Acts, uh, in Luke chapter 1, verse 1. And so the gospel has reached Rome by Acts chapter 28, but of course the story does not And there it goes on until the Lord Jesus returns. It is carried on from that day. It carries on today. It will carry on until the day he returns and his mission plan is complete. One day in history, the gospel came to the United Kingdom, to the islands in which we live. In Scotland apparently it was St Columba apparently his footprints are still there in Kintyre maybe that's where he landed who knows but one day somebody came with the gospel in fulfillment of the Lord Jesus words in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 2000 years ago one day the gospel came to this city there was a day it came one day the gospel came to this university in this city the mission plan of the lord jesus going forward and going forward today like these ripples circles let me end with three practical applications firstly to us as a church the lord has many people in this city he wants to bring into his kingdom that was the strap line we used in our launch literature for chamer's church The Lord has many people in this city he wants to bring into his kingdom. That is not wishful thinking on our part. That is a statement of fact. If you survey backwards the last 20 years in this city, the Lord had many people in this city he wanted and he brought into his kingdom. The Lord has many people in this city he wants to bring into his kingdom. That is a statement of fact. And these people will be within our networks, whether our social networks, our work networks, our friendships, our families. And the Lord Jesus says to us right at the beginning of a book like Acts, are we ready to be his witnesses? I will give you all the power you need to do it, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, as we'll see, doesn't simply take the words we tell and add the power of God to these words and bring people under conviction of sin. The Holy Spirit helps me and you tell people because we don't do it readily or easily. The Holy Spirit will empower us. And I guess the question is, will we come on board the mission plan of the Lord Jesus? Will we, as the church as a church here, as a church family, when things are, relatively speaking, quite tough in our generation, will we believe, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that the gospel will go into this city? Will we believe that there are many people in this city the Lord Jesus wants to bring into his kingdom? I guess, like you, like me, you might be thinking of somebody and you're thinking, It is impossible. But he brought us into his kingdom. How possible was that? And of course, we read earlier about Saul who ravaged the church. And the Lord Jesus brought him into his kingdom. And he became the great apostle, the great missionary in the early church. And when does breakthrough come? In Acts, in the history of the church, breakthrough comes almost always off the back of tough times. Opposition tends to be the catalyst for advance and progress. How encouraging is that? So, when the church is, in a sense, up against it in a generation, history will probably record that that was the catalyst for progress. Of the gospel. When you live through the turning point, you've got to believe the promises of the Lord Jesus. Second application to those of you who are students witnessing as CUs, as mission teams on campus think of your mission on campus like this as coming on board with the plan of the Lord Jesus. Yes, you need strategies and plans and events. But primarily, the Lord Jesus has a plan to bring the gospel to the campuses in this city. And he wants you simply to be willing witnesses to that end, to go and tell the simple gospel, the gospel of the Lord Jesus, not any other gospel, the gospel that he taught, he proclaimed, he has given us. And the Holy Spirit will enable you to be his witnesses. The Holy Spirit will take what you say, And root that in people's lives. Bring them to conviction, and they will turn to Jesus for salvation. The Lord has many people in the universities in this city he wants to bring into his kingdom. That is a statement of fact. And third, to each of us as individuals, daunted at the prospect of evangelism, daunted at the prospect of being a witness. What does the Lord Jesus give you and me to be his witness? Does he give us the Bible? Yes. He gives us the gospel to share? Yes. He gives us wonderful resources like Uncover to tell the gospel to our friends. He gives us books an experienced evangelist to train us, to help us, to encourage us. Yes, he gives us all of that, but he gives us something far, far greater and far, far more powerful than all of that. He gives us himself in the person of the Holy Spirit. And that is a mighty, mighty, powerful resource, helping us, enabling us to be his witnesses. God has many people in this city. He wants to bring into his kingdom. And our job in difficult times is to take a promise like Acts chapter 1 verse 8 and believe it with all of our hearts. We will find, I hope you and I find as we study the book of Acts, to be a wonderful, wonderful encouragement to our souls. It's like Isotonic or Red Bull or Lucasade, or even Iron Brew. The Lord Jesus will wonderfully encourage us and God willing empower us to believe what he says and be his witnesses and see many people come into his kingdom through our church life and through our CU's and through our individual witnesses. Let's pray to that end. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would encourage us as Christians as we study the book of Acts over the coming year. Lord, we pray that we would be willing to be your witnesses. We pray that we would take the opportunities afforded to us to share that life-changing good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord, that we would simply come on board with your plan, believe your promises, And we pray, Lord, that as folks come into our church family, maybe folks are here this morning who are not yet convinced Christians, we pray that they would be persuaded, persuaded that Christian faith is a faith grounded in facts and evidence and the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Help people to trust. Thank you for your Holy Spirit, that power to enable us to be witnesses and that power with the very words that we say, taking these words and planting them deep within people's hearts, bringing them to conviction and a faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to trust your promises and live in light of them, for we ask in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.